to enhance your chances of following what I'm saying, would you please have that passage open before you this evening? 1 Samuel chapter 23. Um, We read the first half of that chapter, but we'll be looking at chapters 23 and 24 very briefly this evening. We're going to, as I say, look at the life of David one more time tonight, and then we're going to have a bit of a break from from 1 Samuel. So this is the, the last we'll see of David for a wee while. By this stage, David's a fugitive. Um, if you remember, he's been chased out of Saul's court. Last time we, we learned that David was living in the wilderness and an army of 400 men gathered around him. Well, by the time we, we reach uh, chapter 23, he's got an army of 600. And at the point where we pick up the story, David's just heard some news. He's heard that the Philistines have attacked Kyla this settlement, and it's a settlement of his own tribe, so it's somewhere that's very dear to him. Uh, maybe a bit like somebody uh, attacking a hometown of yours, somewhere where you have people and know people. And the Philistines are plundering and stealing the harvest. This, this seems to me like a pretty smart way to, to do business. Allow the citizens of Kyla to do all the hard work, the sowing, the plowing, the reaping, And then at the last, just step in and take the produce. That's what the Philistines were doing. And this is the news that David gets to hear. So here we have a test for David. What's David? The man after God's heart, as the Bible calls him. What's he going to do? Look at verse 2. We read that David inquired of the Lord what he should do. And the message came back from the Lord, go and attack the Philistines and save Kilah. So David asks the Lord, and the Lord says, go attack. David shares that with his men, and they, they advise him. They say, that's madness. We were scared of Saul, even, even here. But to go to Kilah, that would just be suicidal. Look at verse 4. Once again, David inquired of the Lord... And once again, he was told to go and attack. David now faces a choice, and it's a choice that probably crops up quite regularly for any of us who want to to walk with God. He's heard the voice of his men. Common sense. What normal human beings would say about the situation. And he's heard the voice of God. Well, David obeys God, and God gives him the victory. I'm not sure that I would have obeyed God. If I had been in his shoes and, and human wisdom had presented itself and said to me, you know, that's not the right way, I'm not sure what I would have done. But David is the man after God's heart. He's in tune with God, and he obeys God once more. Actually, in verses 11 and 12, we see, God, or we see David praying once more asking for God's guidance, inquiring of the Lord. I think what the the narrator is doing here is very interesting. He repeats this phrase twice, that David inquires of the Lord. He gives us an example in verses 11 and 12 of David doing just that. And I think what he's doing here is he's showing David in contrast to Saul. If you remember what we've learned about Saul in the last few weeks, Saul's given up inquiring of the Lord. Saul is now at that stage where he he listens to men, where he charges into battle without waiting for God. 
I think the narrator here is giving us a very clear contrast. David doesn't do anything before he's inquired of the Lord. Do we do that? Do we really seek God's guidance on our lives as David did? Or do we just plow ahead more like Saul did, do what we think is the right thing to do, and then hope and pray that God will bless our little schemes? You know, I think, I think I'm prone to that. To, to actually have my own mindset, to, to talk the language of being open to God and seeking God's will, but, but actually to, to be doing just, just what I would do anyway. David, there's a strong sense here that David isn't that person, that he's a person who doesn't move before God has made the way clear to him. David wants to do what God wants him to do. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer that was prayed much later, but it's a prayer that David could have prayed. We read in verse 12 that the Lord warns David to escape from Kila, and he does that. And it's at this point that David goes into the wilderness. You won't find David in a town for a long time now. He's going to be out in the wilderness, God-forsaken places, but discovering that God hasn't forsaken him after all, that God's still with him. So David escapes to Horesh. Uh, that's the next place that we, we read about. I'll just skim over these next couple of paragraphs in your Bibles there. And it's at this point that something interesting happens for those of us who have, who have been here the last few Sunday nights, because Jonathan comes to visit David. You remember, Jonathan had become David's friend in Saul's court, and now the two are separated because Saul is hunting David down to kill him. But somehow Jonathan comes and finds David, and I love this, because we find that whenever Jonathan finds David at Horish, what does he do? He helps him to find strength in the Lord. Isn't that just brilliant? Isn't that very telling that the one phrase that the biblical narrator uses of their time together is that he helps him find strength in the Lord? Not just a pat on the back. Not just a keep, keep the chin up, old bean, it's going to be okay. No. Helps him find strength in the Lord. This, this is what best friends do in, in the Christian life. And this is what I would love to be doing for people. You know, it's one thing for me to come alongside somebody and try and encourage them in a way that makes them feel good. But that's not, that, that's not what this is about. This is about coming alongside somebody and, and showing God to them. Reminding them whom they are in God. That's the help that will stand them in good stead. That will, that will be the wonderful friendship that David and Jonathan model here. If you, you read on through chapter 23, we're not going to. You find a very interesting wee passage where, where Saul's just about catching up on David. He's just about on his heels. We read that, that David is on one side of the mountain and Saul's on the other. And it's just at that point that God again intervenes. God is still with them. The message comes to Saul, come quickly. The Philistines are raiding the land. So 
he's pulled back just at the last. The, the pursuing Saul is pulled back. We're going to spend the rest of this evening in chapter 24, whenever David flees to Engedi. I don't know if any of you have had a chance to be in the Holy Land. Um, Engedi is a small oasis alongside the Dead Sea, you know, that large lake of salt water in the southeastern corner of Israel. Today, if you went to Engedi, you'd find there a park for swimmers and people having picnics. You'd find a cluster of palm trees and a stand selling soft drinks, somewhere for you to change, uh, a changing room, and, and somewhere to, to wash the salt water off if you've just had a swim. About 300 yards to the west of the, the oasis there at Engedi, you'd find a sheer cliff rising 2,000 feet. Um, I think Sleeved Honor, it's about 2,800 feet, so this is, this is quite, quite something. And, and this, this cliff, this plateau and the cliffs that fall from it have been eroded by ages of wind and rain and have left lots and lots of, of canyons and caves. The reason I'm explaining this to you is because I want you to have some picture of how harsh this terrain is because this is the place where we now find David. He's heading into this kind of a wilderness. And I want to, just before we, we plunge into the story, I want to, to think with you for a moment about that. David didn't choose to go into that wilderness. He was chased there. He was chased there by someone who was trying to take his life from him. And yet the very strange thing, if you read the whole of the biblical account of David, some of his best times, the times when God is most closely at work in his life and when he walks most closely with God, happen here in the wilderness, in the place he doesn't want to be, uh, and in the place where, where it seems like God's probably a million miles away. Why do I say that and why do I, I labor this point? It's because most of us, at some time in our lives, will end up in the wilderness. Not, not this physical, tangible wilderness of Engedi, but a wilderness nevertheless. You see, most of us can live our lives for a while with everything going fine. We can be doing well at home, in our work. We can have the right car and the right mortgage repayments. Life can seem to work. Uh, our families can be relatively well adjusted for the time being. People seem to like us and we feel loved. Things can go well. But friends, there come times for, for many of us, and even for most of us, when that, that changes. All of a sudden, our worlds are thrown upside down. Everything that did make sense no longer makes sense. Everything that was a security to us is shattered and is gone. We're no longer living this perfect and this comfortable life. We're in the wilderness. In chapter 24, I'll come back to that in a moment, but in chapter 24, we read a wilderness story that you'll probably remember from Sunday school. David and a few of his men are hidden in a cave, and Saul comes into the cave. Now, Saul's coming into the cave on a nature call. So he's in there in the cave, and he's totally oblivious to the fact that David, whom he's trying to kill, is a few feet away. 
Whenever David's men realize what's going on here, they realize that Saul's a dead man. Because Saul's taken his robe off and he's taken his armor off and his sword off and he's blissfully unaware of these enemies lurking a few feet away. So just as David's men are ready to pounce, David holds them back. Instead, he makes his way, and and you'll know this story, he makes his way over to Saul, cuts a triangle off the corner of his robe and allows his sworn enemy to escape. Just, Just as soon as as Saul's a safe distance away, David emerges from the mouth of the cave and he shouts to Saul, my Lord, the king. And you can imagine Saul, he turns astonished and David bows to the ground. He shows loyalty and he respect. He says, some urges, urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hands against my master because he's the Lord's anointed I think this is absolutely astonishing what's going on here. We probably don't because we, we can't really imagine what it would have been like for David to kill Saul because we, we don't live in that culture. For David to kill Saul would have been as easy as that. David was used to taking life. He was used to taking the life of his enemies. So to kill Saul in one sense would have been the easiest thing in the world for David How many times had Saul tried to kill David? Six times. Six times he'd tried to kill him. Just a couple of moments ago, we've read again of how Saul's hunting and tracking them down. Whenever David's men see this, they see this as an opportunity. But do you know what they see it as? They see it as a God-given opportunity. God has brought Saul to this point. Now let's kill him. I think this, if you read the whole of David's life stories, I think this is maybe the gravest danger that David ever faced. This is probably the moment in David's life when he would have been most tempted to deny all who he really was, a man who loved God and wanted to live for God, and turn into the very very man his enemy would be. Saul. David's a choice here. Will he continue? Will he continue to trust God? Or or just for a moment, will he do the natural human tempting thing to do? Well, David, as you know, refuses to kill Saul because David, and I've said this before, David has this remarkable ability to keep God before him through every instant in his life. Whenever David's winning, he's celebrating God's presence. And whenever David gets it wrong, he's asking God for forgiveness. He has this remarkable ability to keep God before him. David was able to see God even whenever nobody else was able to see him, even in the presence of Saul. Did you see what he said to Saul? My Lord, the king, he called him. I will not lift my hands against my master because he's the Lord's anointed. That's true. Saul was the Lord's anointed. There's no way David would ever do anything to harm him. 
I want to, as we, we draw to a close, I want to think for a couple of moments, come back to this idea of being in the wilderness. <clears throat> when I think of wilderness in my own life, <coughs> there's one period in particular that springs to mind. I was a young man in my mid-twenties at the time, um, a successful young professional. I had my own house and a great job. I had all the freedom in the world and big plans with it. And then all of a sudden, a relationship that meant the world to me broke down. Suddenly, all the, the other successes and all the other opportunities just seemed hollow and flat. The life that I'd planned lay shattered before me and everything that I relied on was gone. So I felt lonely and I felt forsaken. And, and to be fair, it felt a bit like a wilderness for, for a few months. And maybe you can relate to having a, a period like that in your own life. Wilderness doesn't necessarily do us any good. Whenever our lives take a turn for the worse, it can actually do us a lot of harm. Because what it can do to us is it can harden us and make us bitter. It can make us closed, angry, angry at ourselves maybe, but angry at others and angry at God. I've been learning that from experience, and maybe, maybe you have in your life too. On this particular occasion that I'm thinking of, God in his grace found me in that wilderness. And I found that in that period of my life where it seemed as though God was absent, where it seemed as though God had taken everything from me that I held dear, as I waited on God and as I, as I looked more carefully, I discovered that God was closer than ever. I discovered that whenever my plans had crumbled, he promised to give me a hope and a future. Whenever my foundations were, were shaken and were broken, he became a rock on which I could stand. Whenever the, the love that I so longed for was lost to me, his love took on a new meaning and a new power in my life. I've been following Jesus for 24 years now. As I look back over those 24 years, I've sometimes grown and sometimes not grown like I should have. I've matured in some areas and not in others. But as I look back over my life, the strangest thing of all is that I've never known God like I knew him in that time. The frustration I have is that I don't, I don't really sense that I know God quite as closely now when life is much easier and much better than I did in that time, than I did in the wilderness. Friends, we live in a world that fears this kind of wilderness. It seems to me that even in the life of faith, we want to be comfortable. We want an easy or a happy life. 
anyone who was here a few months ago when we studied in the life of Naomi, as we studied the short book of Ruth together, we discovered something, an uncomfortable but a wonderful truth, that often it's whenever life is at its worst that we're most open to God, that, that we're most ready for him, that we're most willing to accept his presence in our lives. It's amazing. But at that moment, when we feel at our lowest ebb, the tide of God's presence and God's love comes in. I'm conscious whenever I I preach like this that some of this can be much, much more than theoretical for people. There are people here tonight who who may be in a, in a very difficult place in their own lives, who, who may be in a, in a wilderness of the type that I've been describing. It might be a, an illness, a long-term illness or a broken relationship, a faltering career. Every time we, we are chased into a wilderness like this, I think we have a choice And it's this choice. Do we allow that difficult and darkest of all times to make us bitter? To make us angry at God? Or do we allow it to be the time when we recognize that we can't do anymore? That only God can fix this. Only God can help us. That's what the wilderness can do for us. It can drive us to a place where we're more than ever open to and and filled with God. Four years ago, Claire and I had the chance to spend a week in the wilderness of southern Utah in the United States. If you ever get the chance to go to a desert, even for a short time, I'd encourage you to go. There are things there that you'll see and that you'll hear and that you'll experience that you wouldn't see anywhere else. It's the same in life. When we are in the wilderness in our lives, we will experience things that we can't experience any other way. We'll experience that when God seems furthest and most distant, he just might be closer, closer than ever. These worst of times can be the best of times for men and women after God's own heart. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the honesty again of your word. Never are we promised in your word that walking with Jesus will be a walk in the park. Never do you suggest that this will be a life of ease. But Lord, you do promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, for those of us who are here this evening whose lives are are going well, going swimmingly. 
we pray that you would, you would remind us of what we have thought of tonight at a time when we might need it. And Lord, for those who are here tonight whose lives are broken and hurting, Lord, we pray for them that you'd come close, that you would show yourself to be the God who's never absent, but present even in the most unlikely places. Amen.